We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Cruising on February 15th, 1980. It was adapted from a book by Gerald Walker, written and directed by William Friedkin, and released by United Artists. On the same day in America as Caligula. Seems like you're crossing over with your audience. We're just getting the C's done here. Interesting choice. Uh... I, I want to say a couple of things right off the bat. Yes. Uh, we are wa- we watched... Our- oh, hold on. Let me preface that even with... This is the second consecutive episode where you might want to be careful about who's listening to the podcast. Again, yeah. we won't be using any terminology that you can't say on television, but this is a very adult-oriented film. Uh, we are watching the altered version of this film. Okay. I noticed something was off right away because it was the updated Warner Brothers logo. Right, and, and it was it's probably the cleanest picture quality we've had of anything we've watched yeah. so far. Um, but uh, it didn't have the opening statement about this doesn't depict, uh, is, this isn't meant to depict the whole of the homosexual community. It's just supposed to show a portion of it. There was a, a disclaimer that was supposed right. to be at the beginning, and that was removed for this version. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but this is also part of a trend that I've noticed when I'm watching some Blu-rays that... They don't show the original production logo that accompanied the film before. They show the more recent one. The newest logo, yeah. And I think that that's weird because some of the logos are cool and vintage. It's also why a lot of people, honestly, were more excited about having A New Hope with the Fox fanfare in front of it than they were about, like, Disney getting Marvel or any of that other stuff, like getting the Fantastic Four and X-Men back, they were just like, oh, now we can watch episode four with the Fox fanfare at the front of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, there's something to be said for for the, the time-accurate opening right. logos for these movies. And it's funny because a lot of the time you'll have, like, a house with a clock in its walls um, that, uh, that Eli Roth just did. Mm-hmm. Like, he got the oldest possible Amblin logo to put in front of it because right. he liked the retro feel of it so mm-hmm. it's just funny going the other direction too because this movie opens up with with the warner brothers logo with audio from the movie over the logo right and i and i wasn't able to find out if that's how the original was like yeah i, if, I don't know i didn't even realize this was a an uh, altered version yeah of it. was it altered in any other way um, apparently there's more a footage l- a little bit more footage because they he had to go back and the freakin had to go to the mpa time after time after time right. after time trying to get this movie reduced now it's not the full cut that right. 40 minutes were cut from a lot movie. of it was lost um but this does have some additional scenes uh but not i think it's only it's a matter of minutes right uh but i, w- I wondered because having the film audio over the production logo seems like a, a choice very, but it feels like a very modern choice yeah i don't i can't think of too many movies before a certain time that would do that uh like like the first thing i can think of like the burbs where it played the score of the universal logo only because the universal logo was part of the opening sequence right uh well yeah i was gonna i was gonna say because the indiana jones movies all did that but then again they made the logo part of their opening sequence correct so most literally in the last installment where (laughs) the mountains literally turned into a molehill uh but the next thing I wanted to say, <laughs> I went into this movie completely blind. I had no idea what it was about either. No idea. So cruising, we opened up with a boat. I was like, oh, okay, so this is about boats. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> cruising on boats. Captain Ron. Different kind of cruising. Prequel. Like, and then it just immediately cuts to a dismembered arm floating yeah, in the water. I, I was like, oh my. Yeah. <laughs> what is this movie and about? And I knew it was based on a true story. So I was like, that. that's basically all I knew is that it was... A reporter had written a story that was adapted into a novel that was adapted into this film. And this was not what I expected this movie to be about. Yeah. Um, apparently De Niro and Roy Scheider both turned down the the role of Steve, the main well, character. And then and I was 
watching this film thinking about Roy Scheider because of Sorcerer. Uh, because Sorcerer was really great and Scheider was great and Friedkin you know, did a great job with that film. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, man, one of these characters must have been meant for Roy Scheider. One of them yeah. must have been. And it, it was the main character, the Al Pacino role. The director's first choice was actually Richard Gere. Yeah, that which is crazy because it would have come out Less than a month after American Gigolo. I wonder if he, like, I mean, apparently he was interested, like, really interested in doing it. He was attached. He was attached when Al Pacino got the script for the movie and was like, I'm really interested in doing this movie. And they were like, well, Richard Gere is not huge and you're coming off of Godfather 1 and 2, so come on in and play this character. I wonder if Richard Gere would have been more typecast then Mm. because of the, you know, two... You know, extremely homosexual roles in the yeah. same year. That mm-hmm. it would in the same like month, practically. Well, I wouldn't imagine he probably would not have done the other then. Like, he would have. He, he wouldn't have, have turned done... down the other one. Yeah. Well, because this would have because this... John Travolta would have picked it back up and done American Gigolo. Mm-hmm. I think this would have been filming earlier than American Gigolo because think... well, because. The, this... because it... And our last movie, Caligula, both started in like '76. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So they they came out way after they were shot. So I imagine that American Gigolo actually shot after he lost this role. Okay, that makes sense then. So uh, maybe he maybe after losing this role, he was like, you know, it's kind of like that. Yeah. American Gigolo. <laughs> um, something that uh, I don't know if I should save this bit of trivia for after we discuss the plot of the movie, but there's some insane trivia. Okay, uh, I'm looking forward to that. You know what? I'm just going to say it right now because it's not too much of a spoiler. Um, but uh, so in the movie The Exorcist, also directed by William Friedkin, um, there's a there's a scene at a radiologist's lab where they're doing scans of this girl's brain who's supposed to be uh, possessed by a demon, and the person playing the radiologist's assistant is an actor named Paul Bateson. So when William Friedkin was gearing up to make this film, he learned that Bateson was awaiting trial for the post-coital murder of a gay film critic, Addison Verrill. Um, so he decided, you're, you're not in jail. I can speak with you. I want to talk to you about this because it's similar to what's happening in my movie. And um, I just want to get an, a feel for like your psyche and what went into what happened and everything. So he meets with him, um, and he gets he gets some thoughts for the movie, and he leaves and he makes the movie. Bateson was later sentenced to life in prison, but not before dropping several hints while in custody that he was the actual body bag killer that the novel and film Cruising were based on. Huh. So, so the director was convinced the, to do this film because he actually ended up meeting the killer. That, that, no, he, that was unrelated. That happened after the movie that he was sent to prison. So he thought he was just talking to another murderer to get an idea of the mentality, but he was actually talking to the murderer who was never caught for the crimes that his movie was about. That's crazy. Who was also in another movie he did. Who was also in The Exorcist as an actor. That's so weird. Yeah. Wow. But that's just an insane coincidence that he cast a murderer and then later on wanted to make that murderer's story and didn't know that it was someone who he'd already worked with. Um, Al Pacino playing uh, the main character in this movie, Steve Burns, who uh, in real life was 20 years old, like a rookie cop. Mm-hmm. How old would you guess Al Pacino was when he made this movie? 39. Wow, that's a startlingly <laughs> close. He was, he was exactly 39 the year ago. Okay, but that's crazy. I looked He's, that up. He, did, he doesn't look 39 to me, but wow, he was 39 already in 1980? So he's like 80 now? Almost, yeah. Yeah. But um, but obviously he was um, a little bit better looking in uh, in the Godfather movies than in this one. That was Slightly. Four, four or five years earlier. In Serpico. In Serpico, yes. Um, Spielberg was briefly attached. I imagine that was very briefly. Very briefly. Um, every studio said no, but I mean, this was released by United Artists and now it has a Warner Brothers logo at the front of it. Mm-hmm. So eventually some studios came on board, but uh, he left to do a movie called Jaws, which nobody <laughs> remembers. It didn't work out for him. Um, Brian De Palma was desperate to adapt this movie to a film. I could have seen that. Yeah, but, uh, totally. But because 
this all fell in William Friedkin's lap, he was forced to make Dress to Kill, which is probably one of his better remembered movies. I, yeah, I really like that. And one. he had his chance to work with uh, Al Pacino later when he did Scarface. Friedkin says that he attended several gay bars dressed in only a jockstrap to immerse himself in the culture preparing for the film well apparently the actors did too yeah they were he wasn't the only one and he encouraged everyone to to do that and yeah. so a bunch of them all i mean on their own they did their research but after the film was released uh freaking was banned from several gay bars which at that <laughs> point like unless he's going to make another movie about gay culture why why would he be going back to your well, gay bar i mean there was a lot of general protests right from the gay community yeah. related to this movie is that standing like is that still is he still banished <laughs> I, I don't know you'd have to ask the the ramrod or the man pit or whatever i don't know what they were called well hey there the the cockpit that was what yeah. the cockpit yeah the ramrod or it, it was either ramrod or armrod but either way it no it was definitely ramrod. I know, car ramrod. I know. Car ramrod i wrote it down uh there, there were lots of protests obviously when the movie came out because of the way it portrays gay culture but also uh a crazy guy shot eight people at the ramrod club after this movie came out oh yeah he blamed it on this movie yeah he, yeah um, when he was submitting the film to the MPAA, uh, Friedkin included 40 extra minutes, like we said, which have been lost to time. But James Franco later made a movie called Interior Leather Bar, which was a docu-fiction that reimagined some of the missing footage and also dealt with a lot of the creative and ethical problems that come from the film's subject matter. Well, and supposedly all of that 40 minutes was really just more just, yeah. graphic scenes like in the bars. Right. Uh, but... You know, in theory, it made it both more and less ambiguous because it kind of helps, you know, the show El Pacino's like transition during this film. Right. You know, whatever that may be, it's a little, it's a little unclear at the end. Yeah, they leave a, a lot to to the viewer. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty standard director trick to put a lot more extreme footage into the movie that you never intended to use so that you have something to take out when the MPAA says this is rated X and then you go <laughs> what about if I took a third of the movie out and then they're like okay that's R then or, or you could do uh, <laughs> the, the strategy on a film that I worked on once was make your PA cut together scenes from films that you think are oh, show stuff that's violent in show other stuff that's more violent than what's in your movie and then submit that to the MPAA and say how does this get a PG-13 but you gave me an R was that Max Payne that was Max Payne <laughs> they should have gone for an R anyway that should have been yeah. a good we thing. just had to color read to color time the blood and then people were pretty good with it <laughs> that's it was silly <laughs> I feel like you're you're actually hurting your box office with that kind of a title if you're not going for R but then what do I know Hitman probably made nothing I think that had an R I don't know how much it can make. But Max Payne could have been good. Real good. I really wanted it to be good. And instead, it wasn't great. Oh. I never actually saw it. You didn't watch it? No. I, I love it. That's the... your first credit, though, right? Yeah, that was my first screen credit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not my first film that I worked on, but it was the right. first screen credit. Um. So we start the movie with, like you said, a boat in, yeah. the, in the Hudson River. <laughs> And they find a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, then do we go to the morgue? Yeah, we go to the morgue. Uh, Paul Sorvino right. is, is there trying to... Oh, no, not Paul Sorvino yet. It's another one of the other detectives uh, who says, like, oh, we can't do anything with just a hand. He's like, we can give you a fingerprint. Yeah, he's like, I can get you a fingerprint. I got the hand. And he's like, yeah, the fingerprint doesn't do me any good because it's just going to open a homicide investigation. Then I have to find the whole body. So yeah. forget it. Just put it in your miscellaneous drawer. <laughs> so fun fact... It's a real morgue. What, were those real body parts? Well, on I, don't, that I don't know that. It was, I don't think it was real body parts, but apparently uh, that was a real morgue in New York, and uh, everyone was a hundred percent sure that that was never going to happen. And they finally convinced the the head of the New York City morgue to let them film in the morgue. Interesting. Yeah. Why wouldn't you let someone film in a morgue? I mean, yeah, you're going to make them build a whole morgue. Like, I yeah. feel like so many movies shoot in real morgues. That's probably true now, but I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not this is early in that. 70s. You don't have to open up any of the drawers. You go go when there's not so many dead bodies. But they did open the drawer. <laughs> and they pulled a big slab out that was just... Miscellaneous, miscellaneous different parts. Different body parts. <laughs> and he, he closes it. I forget what the 
label said. I just remembered that the acronym spelled Cuppy. Yeah, but and I was like, oh, this is going to come into play because this insert shot is really yeah. like Specific. lingering. <laughs> but no, it's just like, nope, that's just where, Miscellaneous body where parts arms go. and legs go. Um, but yeah, so uh, we move from there to... Uh, I think it, for, first we have the shot with the two... Uh, transvestite hookers that are yeah. walking down the street and, and the um, police are abusing them. Yeah, is it, I always forget, is it Martin Starr or Mike Starr? It's Mike Starr. Mike Starr. I, I always confuse those Martin two Martin Starr is like the the guy from... from Spider-Man. Yeah. That's what you go to first, yeah. Spider-Man? Spider-Man. I was going to go Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> Never heard of that, but he's in Spider-Man also. Um, I've heard of Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> but uh, Mike Starr, I always think of as uh, the gas man yeah, from Dumb and Dumber. How the hell did they know that I got gas? How the hell did they know that I got gas? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're they're harassing these two, um, and apparently coerce them into sexual acts. Yeah. Uh, under so the they threat just basically, of arrest. Yeah, they just pull over on the side of the road and force these two into sex acts. Like, I hate gay people. Now I'm going to come, make you... Come gay on me, please. <laughs> so so this was actually based on something real that was happening at the time as well. Um, I'm sure. So it's there probably was, happening there was right these now. two guys that um, were essentially... I, I, I don't know about the, the sexual acts, but they were shaking down uh, pe- you know, people in the gay community, I guess, hookers and, yeah. and others, uh, you know, making them, like, taking them to ATMs and basically, like, holding them up and making them clear out their bank accounts and even making them like at certain certain times like call their parents and make their parents like get the money and uh but they got caught and uh and they went to trial and it turns out they weren't actually cops so oh okay yeah which is is a good thing that they weren't actually cops well that's funny because that's something a line that's brought up yeah later is are you sure are you sure they were cops yeah right um so we move from that happening to footage inside of a lot of these gay clubs it's a mix of the eagle's nest the ramrod and the cockpit um where this guy looking very freddie mercury with his with his biker hat and his aviator sunglasses um it's just like eyeing people from across the room and lures someone up to a hotel room and uh then after they have sex he ties the guy up on his back and stabs him Four or five times in the back and then we cut immediately to the morgue again mm-hmm. and this time we have uh paul, paul sorvino is there um and the coroner is yeah the oh. coroner is like talking him through like well the first one you can see it's a very straight line so what the victim wasn't expecting it mm-hmm. and then everything below is defensive wounds because they're not straight cuts anymore and it's top to bottom so he's like he's right-handed yeah but there's a lot of forensic stuff yeah, they, 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 this isn't the only time we're getting like a forensics kind it's, of. Speech. I feel like he, he was definitely going for accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, so they was. had a consultant. Like I'm they, sure they had a like a new you know NYPD consultant on uh, for this film, and a lot of this stuff came from reality. That's interesting. Now I'm I'm concerned that I missed some, and I, I I texted Pat I was like I need to watch this again because I feel like I missed some things, um, and it turns out I didn't. <laughs> um, but. And I'm worried I didn't... That it, is his limp ever explained? No. And I was like, is this his choice? Is the limp his choice? Is Paul that- Sorvino has always had a limp. I'm looking at you very carefully. I knew it. I, I knew it. I just I had broke. to wait two more seconds. <laughs> it's not real. It's not a true fact. I was like, and so I was like... Because it's never brought up. And and he, it's consistent. Like, it's, like Yeah, it's happening from the beginning. He definitely has a limp. Um, and I was like, I wonder if this is just Paul Sorvino's choice. Mira Sorvino has the same thing. But on, <laughs> on the other side, <laughs> she inherited it. So uh, he's uh, uh, Paul Sorvino ends up going back to the police station. And mm. that's where one of the, the uh, transvestite prostitutes that was accosted goes to him and says, Hey, I got some information on that guy for you, the one you're looking for. Right. Um, he was at this club and this club. And uh, I also wanted to let you know that there are a couple cops out there that are harassing us. And you're going to do something about it. They're out of precinct, whatever, precinct nine or six yeah. or whatever. Also, I hear the word precinct more than I've ever heard in my life. Well, it's in one this of the movie. names of the bars. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, and that's when Sorvino says, oh, well, are you sure they were cops? And it's like, well, they were in a police car. And it's like, 
are you sure they were cops? And it turns out by the end of the movie, we learned they they were cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, uh, which I think is an interesting choice, considering in reality they turn out not to be cops. Which I think is obviously, you know, better for the cops. But well, come it, on, you blue know, lights like, matter. In this, uh, you know, in this movie, they chose to 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 make them cops, yeah. which I think is an interesting choice to turn it around like that that is interesting um i love that the weird little character choice also of paul sorvino trying to teach himself how to play chess <laughs> and, oh yeah and so yeah. he's got like the the, chess, the gridded chess board out and he makes a move and he types it into the computer and the computer just says illegal move and he's like damn it <laughs> <laughs> he like doesn't even know how to play it right he's not even <laughs> bad at it he just literally can't even remember how you're allowed to move the pieces son of a bitch but yeah, then Al Pacino enters. Mm. Fifteen minutes into the movie, our main character shows up. Well, I didn't realize that at first. <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. You were losing well, track if, because everyone looks the same. All the guys in the bar look the same. The guy he took home looked the same. They're all these like dark-haired, you know, white men that just all look identical. Well, <laughs> interesting factoid for you: um, you weren't just being gayist. It turns out that the killer in the first scene plays the second victim ah uh, i was gonna tell you that they're the same I, actor i know because <laughs> you were like now hold on a second can you back that up because that's the guy who killed in the first scene and now he's being killed is there a second killer and i was like no they, these guys just all look the same no for no reason they use the same actor to play the second victim that played the first killer that's called a red herring patrick <laughs> Red herring. What makes it a red herring? I think you're using this term improperly. Because it's just so ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all to do that. (laughs) Why, he can't be the real killer because he died. No, no, no. No, the implication is... Oh, yeah, no, the killer from the first scene is killed in... The second scene. The second second killed scene. But then continues to kill throughout the movie. So are you saying that he like somehow pantomimed stabbing himself to death for the benefit of just the camera in the that one scene? perfect crime. But then also in the peep <laughs> show. anytime he showed up after that, we would be like, oh, that's the dead guy. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. The police can't find a dead guy. Oh, that's true. Double <laughs> but, jeopardy. But additionally, the, the peep <laughs> show murder. Yeah. The guy that gets killed in the peep show murder was the victim from the first scene. What? Yeah. Why do you keep doing this to us? <laughs> What's happening in this movie? <laughs> but anyway, Steve Burns, Al Pacino shows up, and Paul Servino says, Hey, are you gay? You like dudes? And he's like, What? No, I'm sorry. You were misinformed. I have to get back to work. Do, do you like butt stuff? <laughs> what? Stop asking me stuff. <laughs> he says, You're going undercover. Um, I'm going to send you all these clubs, and you're going to find this guy who's been stabbing gay people because you look like all of his victims. Right. And he's, he's essentially like promising him, you know, yeah, it's like, hey, you'll be detected. You're going to get your badge yeah. much faster this yeah. way. And I would, if I, if I were him, I would have been like, I'm 20. I can hang out for five years and not get stabbed in the back. So yeah. I'm good. But I have a feeling that even Paul Sorvino had it had an inkling that this guy might have some homosexual tendencies already. Well, And see, that's why I thought this was going. I thought, oh... Everyone knows that Steve Burns is the gay guy in the police force. No one right. talks about it. Don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. But that's why he's perfect for this mission. But in actuality, he's like so fresh on the job that no one else knows him at all. Yeah. And and he's married to yeah. Karen Allen. Is he married? They, no, they're not married. Well, well, they're in a relationship. Yeah, yeah he yeah, lives yeah, with yeah. her. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Are we so... sure they're married? I thought he took off a ring. Maybe they're not. I don't think they. I don't recall them being married. I, I don't remember. I don't remember the ring thing. That might change my answer to that question, but I don't remember. But so he goes to a couple clubs to try and get a feel for it, and it looks like you know some scenes out of Caligula a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In places, and he meets Powers Booth. Powers Booth. Yeah. <laughs> he he uh, he goes into a club and he looks around and he sees these people have like these handkerchiefs hanging mm-hmm. out of their pockets. And he's like, okay, this means something. So he goes to this like little hanky shop next door. <laughs> and it's not just a hanky shop. Well, that's I mean, though that's he is why he's open at this he hour. He's credited as a hanky salesman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, this one, this color means this. This color means this. A light blue hank in your left back pocket means you want a blowjob. Right pocket means you give one. The green one left side says you're a hustler. Right side, you're a buyer. 
Yellow one, left side means you give golden shower. Right side you receive. The red one means you say anything you want. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go home and think about it. I'm sure you'll make the right choice. It's basically like the, the the whole myth about what scrunchies mean when kids mm-hmm. come home with them on their arms now in, in high school or whatever. But uh, he's like, if you tuck this one in your back pocket, it means you're cool to do this or you want this or you want to do this to somebody else. And so he's like, all right, well, give me that one. And he goes back into the club with one hanging out of his pocket. And the guy's like, oh, are you done with this? And he's like, no. And he's like, get that hanky out of your pocket. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in that particular scene, though, he's like, no, no, I'm going to go home and think about it. But but later he does show back yeah. up with a, a yellow hanky. Right. Which means that he has a cold. <laughs> so uh, to fit into the community, he rents like the super cheap apartment, which was actually previously inhabited by one of the murder victims, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and in all the magazines, he's like, I thought the magazines were there, were planted there like a by. Cover? Well, not just the cover. I thought Paul Sorvino was like saying, "Hey, we got you this place," and. Here's I have some, these lying around. Well, no, like here's some <laughs> no, here's some material. Here's what they're here's yeah. some fashion. Do yeah, some yeah. research. Like, like, yeah, yeah. like these are magazines that are going to be informative because you have no supposedly have no knowledge right. of this culture. Uh, and he immediately meets his neighbor who's while, while super he's, friendly. Yeah, and he's like throwing away just like ten pounds worth of of gay porno mags mm-hmm. which is hilarious because he was going to throw them away but the neighbor says oh no 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 don't throw them away Leave them our stacked. landlady likes to sell them so just stack them up here nicely so this you know i'm just imagining this little landlady out there selling a load of used gay porn magazines. i also feel like if i was a landlady <laughs> that sold used gay porn mags i'd probably check the apartment for them before i rented it to somebody yeah. else well, she's she's a little old lady, I imagine. Oh, she's so not she tall enough to see she, them at the top of the closet. See them up. They were on the top of the closet. <laughs> but yeah, so he he makes friends with uh, this guy uh, Ted Bailey, who um, his new neighbor, who it turns out is like he's writing a screenplay about his own experience in the city, and uh, he doesn't care that it's not going to sell to anybody because no one makes those kind of stories that he wants to tell because he just he believes in himself and he believes in his writing. Well, and I think that this character is really designed to be sort of the antithesis of the whole rest of the movie, and you know, and it's his attempt to be like, "Hey, look, we have, we have, we have a gay, you know, we have gay culture that's also not all of these things. That's right. just a because normal dude." That before the movie was things. even done shooting, there was already protests going right. on. As soon yeah. as they knew that the move the, that the book was being adapted, they were already like. That's not a fair representation of our culture. And every time someone makes a movie about gay culture, it turns into American Gigolo, and it's you know a crazy murderer. Even if the whole time the point of the movie is supposed to be, oh, he's an innocent guy, and then at the end he murders somebody on his way to proving his innocence. Yeah. But yeah, so he sits down and has uh, some coffee with this with the neighbor, and they talk about his boyfriend and how he's his boyfriend is not very supportive. Um, and that he's overbearing. Um, but uh, then we're back in the nightclub scene, and uh, Steve actually uh, gets someone to take him to his apartment after they leave the club. Um, but he sort of th- does he give some indication to the police that they should be following him? What what is the clue that sends all the cops? Rushing into the apartment. Yeah. Well, he he has a guy that he's he's tracking this guy named Skip. Yeah, Skip Lee. Skip Lee. He he's like a guy who's like he's quick to anger. Uh, even one of the because he uh, Al Pacino checks in with Paul Sorvino now and then, saying you know, hey, the 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 bartender's starting to know me. They're giving me information. I'm talking to some of the guys I see locally. Uh, and the bartender says, "Yeah, that Skip Lee guy, Skip is crazy. Yeah, don't mess with. Don't him. mess around. He'll he's he's just he's not a good guy. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, okay, this guy fits a profile. Yeah. So let me pu- push him a little, and gets him to take him up to his room. And he's wearing a wire. Pacino's wearing a wire. Uh, or but they, but he gets completely undressed. Correct. So now they have no audio. And and the last thing they heard of that he was being tied up. Right. Which one of the victims." Was, was completely was, hogtied before he was stabbed in the back. Correct. So they go, well, we're gonna ru- we're gonna rush in, but 
so many of the scenes in this movie are these really long, drawn-out scenes. Yeah. Where all I need to see is them rush in the front door and then be at the apartment door. I don't need to see them all take turns going yeah, in the front the whole, door. Yeah, working each, up the each stairs. Each set of stairs, them, then getting to the door, all kind of gathering around the door. Then one of them has to tell the other one to be quiet. It's like, wouldn't you know this to be quiet? None of this is adding to the story. Uh, just cut directly to them busting in. Uh, and then they get a, you know, he, they just lightly knock on the door. And I'm assuming they're about, Al, you know, Al Pacino and, and Skip are about to have sex. And he goes, I'll go get the door. I'd be like, yeah. screw who was ever at the door. I'm busy. <laughs> I'd just be like, yeah. like, I would just not answer the door. Uh, what could be more important? Uh, Which wouldn't have changed this scene at all. Yeah. Because if nobody answered the door, they would have busted it open. Yeah. yeah. And arrested the people the same way. But, but both of them are playing it straight like, I don't know who these people are. What are they, mm-hmm. Why are you in my place? And, yeah. and he's like, why are you interrupting us? You, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. But Al Pacino is completely naked on the bed hogtied. Mm-hmm. And they both seem totally confused by it. Cut to them both being interrogated in the same room yeah. at a table. And they're both saying like, we already told you what happened. Mm-hmm. Why, why are you... Why are you questioning us over and over again on the same points? Because they followed Skip to his job at a fancy restaurant. Right. That gives out a very particular steak knife. Right. And the... Which could cut through bone, conceivably. Yeah. And uh, also is very similar to the murder weapon. The, the Again, the forensics analysis guy is holding yeah. up the blade. He says the, the serrations match. Yeah, he holds it's it up right. to an x-ray, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're really pushing Skip... And then they, this guy walks in, <laughs> this six foot five guy with no clothes. He's just wearing a jock strap and a cowboy hat. You mean my yeah. most favorite character of the film? Yeah. So fun Big... fact. That's a real. That's cop. real. <laughs> <laughs> That's that a real cop who literally did that professionally during that was interrogations. Based on reality. Yeah. But it, it's just so. <laughs> it wasn't just based on reality. That was the guy who literally, literally did that during that interrogations. Guy? Oh dear. And the point was that. Um, if they were too rough with people being interrogated, they couldn't file a complaint and say, oh yeah, they, you know, they were shouting at me and then the six foot five naked cowboy slapped me across the face. <laughs> people would be like, oh, okay, well, whatever. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. So that obviously didn't happen. <laughs> but I love the reaction. It's like, uh, first Al Pacino, he goes, who's that guy? Who, 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 who hit me? Why hit me? And then when Skippy is like, who is that guy? <laughs> He just keeps slapping them around back and forth. And the way he slaps them, it's so like... It's a hard slap. It's a hard slap, but it's also like got this like robotic kind of like... I, I know you can't see what I'm doing, but it's kind of like... Yeah, like, just backhands like, him, but like, like a robot would. But the, dr- the, the drama in the slap is so intense. It's, it's You know what? It's the intensity that you can only get if you're not an actor and you're trying... To act. To act like really dramatically slap them. Yeah. So you hold on the slap after you do it and then once both of them have gotten slapped they decide okay we're going to start interviewing these guys separately and that's when pacino can finally break character and he goes into they bring him into the room with the guy who slapped him he's like and you slapped me really hard and the guy just looks at him and doesn't say anything and so he takes his hat off and throws it I, out the window i love that he just throws the hat out the window <laughs> but the guy doesn't move or react to it at all he doesn't say anything yeah but uh the captain or the police chief comes in just to kind of observe and they're they're seeing how hard they're pressing this kid and he's not giving up anything right and they they're just like nah this is and then they they check the the fingerprints and they're like it's not the right guy yeah because they because one of the people that he killed he he um went to like a porno theater and put a coin in to play a porno and then while the movie was playing he stabbed a guy to death in the theater and they found the coin that went into the machine and it had blood smeared on it with a fingerprint. Right. Because he doesn't wanted match the, this guy's. He wanted the room to seem like it's still occupied so he can have more time to get away. Right. Um, and we also haven't really touched on it much, but uh, his wife slash girlfriend, uh, Pacino's wife slash girlfriend. It is girlfriend. I'm sorry. I was, okay. I was mistaken with the wife. It is girlfriend. Uh, yeah. Uh, is played by Karen Allen. And she... Uh, is just kind of oblivious the whole time. Apparently a lot of her performance ended up on the cutting room floor for this movie. But um, he's he's been really distant with her 
and uh well, i think he's having intimacy issues because it's it i mean at this point i can i guess we can say that he's having conflicts right well he says he says you know because she she's like you're not interested in me anymore and he's like well what i'm doing is affecting me mm-hmm. so it's yeah. not really like clear when he says that it's just like oh are you just like but he also says there's there's a lot of stuff you don't know about me like yeah, there's but information like, I'm withholding. Right, from but him. like it's not it's not clear on if that means like he's feeling like he's having homosexual feelings or if he's instead like just being really disturbed by sexuality, like in general, by the things that he's seeing and yeah. he can't handle this intimacy right now. They leave it a lot for the viewer to decide for themselves. A lot for the viewer to decide. We'll Especially the at ending. The end. But uh yeah. My my interpretation was that he has either been bisexual or gay the entire time and is realizing more of this about himself or is finally leaning into this proclivity yeah. that he's had. Well, I think that some of the some of the footage that was taken out probably would have given us more clues into right. what he was experiencing at these clubs and like how that was affecting him. Yeah. But he goes to Sorvino and says, "Hey, uh, I'm not trying to get people killed just for being gay." So I'm done with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the chief of police has been breathing down Servino's neck like, uh, the, what, the mayor is coming to town? Or somebody's the, coming the, to town. The Democratic Convention. Oh, the Democratic Convention's going to be in town. He's like, you need to have this whole murder investigation wrapped up with a nice little bow before the DNC comes to town because we're not going to deal with this on the, on the national stage. So handle it because this is a problem. And so he's desperate. And he's like, you got to help me, Steve. you got to stay mm-hmm. in this. Like, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to help people. You just have to stick to this. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of connections now that are coming up. Yeah, he gives them one new piece of information. Because yeah. the, the, one of the uh, murder victims was a Columbia professor. Yeah, presumably the first murder victim. Yeah. Which uh, Pacino gets this information from Ted Bailey, his neighbor, mm-hmm. that they think this guy died in a similar way and that it might be related and Servino here is giving him, oh, well, here's his class list. These are the 12 people that he, this professor ever taught. Yeah. <laughs> what? And, like, it doesn't make sense that it's like four pieces of paper. And and one thing I do like that they did with this movie is that the killer is at these clubs throughout right. the movie. Yeah. He sees him often. Like, he's seeing all these other regulars and he's seeing the killer. We, we see as the audience see the killer. Yeah. So we know that he's there. Um, and I thought that that was really cool, a cool thing to do. Well, except that the killer's not always the killer. You know, the That's fact true. that they keep switching out these people. I mean, I think they're... I feel like if you're going to lean into the, he's got a hat and glasses and facial hair on, that that has to be how you're hiding who the killer is. You can't also change the actor multiple times. I, 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 I agree with you that I don't think it was done right and it was done clearly, but I think that they were trying to imply that it wasn't just one killer. Like, this was this was a thing. This was so a this problem. this is like a, a Patrick Bateman scenario where it's like, maybe we're just confused about who was doing it. Well, or that there's just, you know, that there's multiple people that were committing these types of acts at that time. And they're trying yeah. to imply that it's like, yeah, so we got one of them. But, like, the, there's other victims to this stuff. Yeah. But so now he has this list of people's faces and he's flipping through it and he and he recognizes one face. It's the one face that looks like maybe it was photoshopped onto this page of other faces. Because mm. it's a different contrast level in the photograph. Um, but, and he finds the name of the person and he calls up columbia university and says hey i'm looking for so-and-so do you have his contact information they're like well here's his address yeah and so he's like okay great i'll just go to his house so he waits outside his house until he leaves and then breaks into the apartment also real (laughs) i mean the so the the consultant apparently said well this one time i had to break into this guy's apartment and you know what i did i climbed up the fire escape and And then pushed the fan yeah and then just got you know broke into the window and like i'm a cop so like if anybody were to find me doing any of these things i'd just be like i'm a cop like it's okay i'm supposed to be doing this (laughs) but it's not okay but he gets into this apartment and is looking through everything and he finds this box of letters at the bottom of the closet Mm -hmm. And they're all letters to to his father at a bunch of different addresses. Um, that were never sent. Right. Obviously, Just letters that box. never got sent to anybody because they're here in this shoebox. Um, but then, this part's weird, he leaves the apartment 
He puts the fan back in place very carefully, but he leaves the letter strewn about in this box. Yeah. And just stands behind like a hedge, staring, staring at the window yeah. until the guy comes back. And then when the guy comes back and looks out the window and sees Al Pacino, Al Pacino's like, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, smiling and nodding. It's like, if the implication is that you're luring this guy out to flirt with him, like, why would you do these things on the way yeah. to flirting with him? Just go to a club with him later. Like, I don't understand why you purposely left this trail for him to find you and be able to implicate him in, like, some terrible stuff that he's done. Uh, also, uh, one of the harassed... Uh, uh, prostitutes prostitutes yeah sorry couldn't think of the word <laughs> it's not a word i use every day oh, yeah. uh, but uh sure usually at sure. night <laughs> my my own persona at night no uh mentions that they heard singing like a nursery rhyme or like i'm here yeah uh and that's another way al pacino gives himself away and I don't understand what he's yeah why he's like blatantly is. telling him like I know you're a murderer let's have sex now because I yeah, thought that's strange I thought maybe that was the goal to egg not down to egg him on but to like reveal I know who you are you know who I am so maybe he's trying to literally just trying to avoid having sex with this person or be hogtied and he's just like just attack me please because yes. all I want to do is kill you yeah if you attack me then I know. And then this is all over because yeah. you'll I'll get the upper hand, hopefully. Right. So before the guy actually approaches Al Pacino, he goes out and sits on a bench and talks to his dad. And his dad's like, well, you got to kill him. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll kill him, dad. Well, he doesn't, he's not that, he says, you know what you have to do. Right. You know what you have to do. So, I mean. <laughs> but the implication is pretty clear. Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't think, like. I, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like it's super clear. Like, the dad's dead. Right. So, like... Wh- I knew the second he sat down, I was like, oh, so this is the ghost of his dad is, like, this is the... I don't know if it's clear that his motivation, you know, is, like, is he trying to... He's trying to gain his father's approval? Is it because yeah. he himself is gay and his father doesn't approve? So he's, like, killing gay people to he, try to, like, gain his father's Did he kill his back? father? Did he kill his father? Did his father abuse him? Like, I don't think it's clear... No. On any of those accounts, like well, what his real motivation Well, since they never caught is. the guy, they don't know the real motivation. <laughs> so, I mean, in the true story, they never caught the guy. The movie changes the ending a little bit. Yeah. But we don't know the actual killer's motivation, other than he presumably liked killing people. Or, or did they catch the guy, as we stated at the beginning well, of yeah, this episode? They caught the guy, but not for, they didn't, he wasn't charged with the murders. Uh, of These murders of the murders and the murders. <clears throat> anyway... So yeah, the, the so begins the the cat and mouse um, night night bench cigarette lighting. Yeah, they both sit banter. on benches wrong next to each other, and uh, and even even try to approach each other wrong. Like when Al Pacino needs a light, he didn't hop off the bench. He stands up on the bench to walk the length of the bench and then jumps down. Yeah, and then he goes and lights his cigarette, and uh, then they chase each other, and he's like hey, you want to go back to my place? And he's like, can't. What about your place? And he's like, can't do my place either. And he's like, there's a cool tunnel over there. Mm-hmm. Let's go have sex in the tunnel. And he's like, I don't want to do it in a tunnel. And he's like, no, it's cool. Let's go. Let's go do the tunnel. <laughs> so they go to the tunnel and then quick draw McGraw, everybody whips out knives and stabs yeah. each other. <laughs> well, Pacino stabs the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and then just cut to him in the hospital immediately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're telling him, it's like, we, we, we got your fingerprints on the coin. We're going to indict you. And the kid just says, well, that's all you're going to get is an indictment. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. Like, I mean, other than that, he's not going to give a confession, but it's like, they're going to get more than an indictment because. Well, we the, have police witness that you have, attacked him. We have you evidence. You have the murder weapon on you, presumably. Right. Like, there's, You're not denying any of these crimes. Yeah. So apparently in the scene. When he's talking, he's dubbed over with the voice of his father when he says, I didn't kill anybody. So it's just the father is... The father is talking there. Which apparently earlier, like, I know we had multiple killers. There's a lot of weird ADR at the beginning. 
it's also the voice of his father. So that even though it wasn't even the same killer for that scene, like they had a different actor right. playing the killer, they still dubbed over the voice with the father's voice. I didn't catch that. Well, I didn't catch it either. I just I, I, I read this and I'm like, well that that is a whole different implication to to some of these scenes. So yeah. could it be then the scene where the killer gets killed is in his mind? Like it's a surrealistic that I'm, I'm killing myself in some sort of way. I don't know. I mean, it definitely seems like an intentional choice to have the same actor who's playing the killer mm-hmm. play a victim. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, like we're, at this point, we're really questioning a lot of reality because the main character that we've been following this whole point, like it seems like they're implying like as he has more gay feelings he goes crazier and crazier because which you know, makes a lot of sense why this movie was protested as heavily uh, as it of was of course i mean i don't know that they realized that at the time right that it but, was we, filming, but we also so we move from this hospital room where the the killer has finally been uh overtaken to back to the apartment building where steve's been staying and uh, the same police that were harassing the prostitutes in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. are moving into this apartment to see... Oh, we, we skipped a scene earlier. But um, before he goes out one night, um, Al Pacino stops by to talk to Ted. And Ted's well, not home. Because he overhears an argument, yeah. right. right? But Ted's not home, but the boyfriend is there. And... I don't know that Ted isn't home, but the boyfriend answers, right? No, Ted's definitely not home because oh, okay. yeah, Pacino he... busts into his apartment. And oh, I think right, 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 he right. was there because he's working at some kind of brokerage house i think they yeah. oh yeah the, the boyfriend forced him to get some sort of job to pay the rent because he's like it's your turn now buddy enough. yeah <laughs> but uh and the 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 boyfriend here is is uh james remar who's uh, dexter's dad yeah dexter's dad but uh he uh he's uh pushing back on him and he's like oh sorry because you could you stop by on the wrong night to flirt with my boyfriend and he's mm-hmm. like no 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 that's not why i was here and he's like Oh, sure, it's not. And then he slams the door in his face. And Pacino, like, rages against the door. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to call the police. And then he realizes, like, oh, that would actually be really bad if you called the police. Yeah. Because that would, like, compromise my undercover situation. But I'm coming in anyway. (laughs) Yeah. But so now we have the police at the same apartment. And it turns out Ted has been viciously murdered. Mm -hmm. And they're blaming it on the James Remar character, the boyfriend. They're assuming it's a domestic dispute. Um, But... The camera lingering on the body and uh, Paul Sorvino's reaction to, wait, who did you say lived next door? John Forbes, which is yeah. the fake name that uh, Steve has been using uh, at this apartment. He's like, wait a minute. Does that mean that Steve is a murderer now? Does like, it? It seems I like, don't know. It seems like the way he's reacting to it isn't like a, I should ask Steve about this. It's more like a, Oh God! What if? What have I done? What mm. did I create a monster? Um, and then we see Steve back in the apartment with his girlfriend, which is a huge, beautiful apartment. Yeah. yeah. Um, for New York, and uh, he's he tells her, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm home now. I live here, and I got my badge, and we're all good. I'm done with the undercover stuff." And he's shaving in the mirror, and she notices that he has the leather jacket. Cap the, the, the biker hat and the glasses which he didn't have previously i'm assuming he took these glasses from the closet oh. where he found the letters yeah and she puts all of it on because she's just like oh that's weird well, that it's almost like you know uh, yeah he's taking this stuff and sort of so assuming the killer's glasses. identity mm-hmm. yeah but mm-hmm. uh, he's shaving and looking in the mirror and looking at himself and then he turns and looks at her wearing all the stuff that he took out of that apartment and well, then we just he looks directly into the camera yeah. like at us yeah and then we see just this wide shot of him walking into a gay bar like mm. that night and that's the end of the movie well, i don't know that it's clear that it's him once that's a, true once it's just again i feel like they're being ambiguous oh my god can we mention something else earlier in the movie for no reason we get this pinhole scope on a guy sitting oh. on a <laughs> yeah. like it's it's while we're at columbia university and the camera's like following people through room and in case like you weren't looking at the right character suddenly all the screen turns black except for a circle around one guy sitting on a railing and i don't even understand what the point of that was 
like, hey, look, Al Pacino's watching this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. I noticed. I watched we're, this yeah. We're all watching it. <laughs> but I just like to be in the editing room for that where they're like, is it clear that this is Al Pacino? Or what if people think this is just a random person? It's like, what if we just zoom in on him? And it's like, I can't zoom in. It's just going to look really grainy if we zoom in any further. And it's like, all right, we'll just, you know, uh, put an optical on this and just put a circle around him. It's like, put a circle around him. This is a football game. <laughs> like, like we're looking through a pair of binoculars? Yeah. No, it's Very a mon- monocular. It's a, just a telescope. Yeah. That's what they call that. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, so the implication might be that uh, he has inherited the murderous ways of the gay community, which is a huge reason why this <laughs> film was protested and is probably in bad taste in general. Uh, so something that was really prominent throughout the film that I found incredibly distracting was the score. Mm. <laughs> the music was really bizarre the whole time. Like It, it felt like... A horror movie score, and I know that it's a—it's like, everything the freaking does. It's right? a suspenseful thing and stuff like that, but like it just felt so out of place and so prominent in these scenes. And I really feel like it—it it changed some of the meanings of some of these scenes, where like you're getting this weird, uneasy, creepy, suspenseful feeling when that's really not what not I think what the scene was about. There. Yeah, but apparently, possible. yeah, apparently the the composer. Uh, who had done some work on The Exorcist. He wasn't the main composer on The Exorcist. Sure. But um, he was into making music without instruments. And so all of this stuff was just like, I'm going to rub on this table and I'm going to tap on this glass. And, you know, like... That reminds me of the, the MTV Movie Awards where they had the whole bit with the, the people that worked on the soundstage. Foley artists? The Foley artists, yeah. Where they were just, like, doing terrible, terrible Foley art. The, the Foley in this movie was pretty over the top, too. Like, yeah. the, the crunchy, like, squeaky leather in all yeah. of these scenes, like, and the jingly chains were pretty over the top. And yeah. the, the whistles, like, when they're in the in the, the precinct night. Uh, which is oh, a, Yeah, which is the gay club where everyone's dressed as a cop. Yeah, which is a fun... kicked out because he's not dressed like yeah. a cop. Well, and because it, it's like a thing, like he's worried that he, he's like, "Are you a cop?" And like he's like, "Uh oh, uh, 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 no, no, yeah, no." no maybe. Uh, speaking of if awards, you are, it's entrapment already. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of awards, we should have talked about some of the award nominations. Oh, I don't know the award nominations. It it was nominated for not one, not two, but three oh. Razzies. Oh, really? Of the first Razzies. Oh, it's the first Razzies. I didn't know that. Yeah, the first Razzies. So we're going to get to cover every Razzie uh, nominee on this yeah. podcast. And, and, and I don't think that... Uh, yeah, so this is, I think this is our first... Our first Because I looked at the list of the Razzies from 1980. Uh, and we haven't hit any of these other movies yet. So what? who who got the nominations here? Uh, so it was Worst Director for William Friedkin. I don't think that's fair. Worst, Already even. Worst Screenplay... Uh, and that, that might be fair just because of how wrong-headed it is. Uh, and uh, worst picture of the year. Worst picture. I clearly they didn't see just tell me what you want. Which was <laughs> even on the you're about list. to rip on Caligula again. <laughs> it's not even on the list just tell me what you want. Um, there are some movies on the list that I want to see that I'm excited to see that are on the Razzie list. What, okay, just go, read through the best picture. Okay, uh, worst picture you mean? Or sorry, worst picture for 1980. Worst picture nominees or winners. So can't stop the music one. Okay, that's the the uh, Village People movie. Uh, and so other nominees were Cruisin', The Formula, Friday the Thirteenth. What <laughs> really? The Nude Bomb, which maybe. that's the the Get Smart movie. Yeah, the Get Smart movie. The Jazz Singer, Raise the Titanic, Saturn Three. <laughs> Which we'll be reviewing very soon. Uh, Windows. Okay. And Xanadu. Now, Windows is... Xanadu. Is, it's basically just cruising, but with women. William Friedkin, obviously directed <laughs> Exorcist, <laughs> uh, French Connection, and Sorcerer, which yeah. is basically a remake of Witches of Fear. Um, you've seen that, right? Sorcerer? Witches of Fear? Sorcerer. I haven't seen Sorcerer. Oh, I've okay. seen Witches of Fear. Sorcerer's great. It, it also... Um, isn't there another movie that's like... Uh, uh, a ride with death or something like that. There was there was an MST3K episode of um, of another movie about transporting a highly oh. explosive material. Um, anyway, good stuff. Al Pacino obviously at this point had done Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather, 
So it's still early in his career, even though he was 39 at the time. <laughs> um, Paul Sorvino is Captain Edelson, who there's a recurring joke that he keeps calling him Captain Edelman, mm-hmm. um, which just makes me think of Randy Edelman, who composed the MacGyver theme. Yeah. And also the Briscoe County Jr. theme. But Paul Sorvino and is the in Olympics lots of stuff. theme, <laughs> which is also the Briscoe County Jr. theme. Um, yeah, Paul Sorvino's in a bunch of stuff. Goodfellas, Rocketeer. He was Kissinger in Nixon. And he's Mira Sorvino's dad. Hence the limp that she inherited. <laughs> There's um, no limp. No limp. No limp. Uh, Karen Allen is just wonderful. Uh, she plays Nancy here, the girlfriend. Um, she will be in Raiders. Mm-hmm. She's also in Starman and Scrooged. Those yeah. are the three that I think of. Uh, Animal House? That's true. That was before this, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I always go to Scrooged. Yeah. It's always clear for uh, me. Uh, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark for me, for sure. That I mean, makes sense. And, Scrooged... and it's always Starman for her. Right, Jess? For me? When you think of Karen Allen, you always tell me Starman first. No. I mean, no. <laughs> We got to see one of the stars of that movie. Did we? Of Starman? See... <laughs> of, of Starman. Did we see Starman? I feel like we watched that at the New Beverly. We probably did. And when I said the stars of the movie, I meant Meteor Crater in Arizona. Oh. Where they shot the finale of the film. I was uh, going to say, because I we did haven't. meet one of the stars of that movie. Oh, Jeff? Yeah. Jeff, our good friend Jeff. Yeah. That we refer to by his first name. You helped him book a hotel room or something, right? Yeah, I like took care of his ADR and all that stuff on yeah. Tron. Because he worked on Tron. Uh, Don Scardino, who played Ted Bailey, the neighbor, is a director of mm-hmm. a lot of TV stuff. He did 38 episodes of 30 Rock and uh, two episodes of Kimmy Schmidt. So that's fun. Um, Joe Spinell, who plays uh, the, the guy opposite Mike Starr that's harassing the prostitutes. That's patrolman d simone in the movie um he was frank zito and maniac which is a kind of similar character um he Dr. plays zito <laughs> <laughs> sure um he plays uh gazzo and in rocky one and two which i think is like somebody that people like make bets through or something like that i can't remember who the gazzo character no, is um he's also a personnel officer and taxi driver ed o'neill this is Ed O'Neill's first feature film. I could not find him. Oh, he was. Oh, one you of, didn't find him? He no. was one of the cops that was like at, at the, the restaurant when they yeah, noticed the, the guy. Oh, okay. The restaurant. I, I I know the scene you're talking about. I was like, maybe I was looking too hard. He he looks very different. Yeah, when it He's first came up, I was young. like, is that is that uh, Bundy? And she was like, Bundy who? And I was like, the Septopus. And she's like, Bundy the Septopus. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, Al Bundy. The, he played Hank the Septopus. And then uh, she looked it up, and it was him. Uh, James Remar, of course, was Gregory, who he said before was Dexter's father. He's also Ajax in the Warriors movie, which came out uh, just before this. Um, William Russ, the dad from Boy Meets World, mm-hmm. played uh, Paul Gaines, who was, what, the roommate of the murderer? Or someone else who lived boyfriend? in the dorm? Yeah, like he's the, in a boyfriend or roommate. The, he didn't, they didn't seem like they were in a relationship. They were just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Okay. He's like, hey, if you want to go out tonight, let me know. We can- yeah. Uh, but he also played Slick Goodland in The Right Stuff. Um, Mike Starr, who we mentioned before, was the cast man in Dumb and Dumber. You recognize from the live-action portions of James and the Giant Peach? <laughs> yes, that is where my brain went. <laughs> Which I, don't, I didn't even remember that there were any. <laughs> he was like the police officer. Yeah, he, was, he was in uh, The Natural, Robert Redford. Sure. The and then Ed Wood is another big one. Yeah. Where he's like the, the guy who's just like, I have all this footage of like stampedes and like nature it's like what are you gonna do with this and he's like oh i can use it in my movie he's like i could make a whole movie out of all your stock footage um and miller's crossing obviously he's great in that powers booth as the hanky salesman <laughs> um he was uh curly bill brocious in tombstone yeah. um he plays gideon malik a, a member of the world security council in avengers mm-hmm. um which I is think i think I... our second marvel cinematic universe character i don't think Sam i knew Neil. who he was until deadwood like I, I don't think I knew any of his work until we Where saw him was, in Deadwood. He was Psy. Yeah. Um, but was his, Sin City before Deadwood or during after? Um, I don't know because I didn't watch Deadwood when it was on. Mm. I think it was after. I think it was during. Um, but obviously his best role, inarguably, yes, best role of all time, is Colonel Jim Faith mm-hmm. in MacGruber. 
because that's just the best thing he's ever done. And I mean that in the nicest possible yes. way. Because that is my favorite movie. He had a sense of humor about it. He 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 plays it so yeah. perfectly. Um, he's wonderful. Um, up or down? What do you think? Is this a watch? You know, I think that it's not. I would agree. I say that it's not. I th- I think that if they paid the same attention to detail to the actual story of the killings mm-hmm. that they did to all the procedural investigation yeah that it would have gone a long way but just making up the story of like oh i bet he just was mad at his dad and his dad's ghost told him to kill people is like a weirdly oversimplified way to wrap the story up yeah i think that they just didn't they just didn't make it I don't I don't want to say they should have made it more obvious, but I think that it just was it was so ambiguous that it felt like they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. What do you think, Richard? Uh it's going to be a no. No for uh, I uh similar reasons. I, I just wasn't wasn't compelled by anything about this movie. Uh I, like I said I had to I texted you. I said, "Can I watch it again because I something's wrong." I missed something and I don't know what it was and it turns out no I didn't miss no, anything didn't. It they was just, just left it out it was just confusing yeah and I think uh, they left it out to try and avoid being controversial but it's to the detriment of the film yeah in the long run um where does this land on your letterbox list yeah so surprisingly even though I say it's a no-go on the watching it again um, I think I put it. Oh, this is hard. So I'm putting it somewhere around American Gigolo. I'm just debating whether or not I it's above or below it. And I think, I think I put it above it. I think I liked it better than American Gigolo, okay. which means it's below the fog and above American Gigolo for me. All right. What about you? Uh, I'm going to be breaking away from my tradition of always going with what Jesse tells me to do. <laughs> Beforehand. Uh, um, I'm going to be putting this a little lower um, between uh, below Simon, but above to all good night. Okay. Uh, I, I'm doing my list. Jesse had responded about earlier about how she's doing her list. I'm doing my list about like, am I likely to watch these movies again? Which one would I rather watch again if I had to choose? And that's sure. why Caligula is at the bottom at the of the top. List. Exactly. Um, that's how I'm doing mine. But I much rather watch Simon again over this movie. Yeah. And so, and I much rather watch this movie over to All Good Night. So. I think my my list is going in order of, okay, since the top of my list right now is The Fog, I would say that's the that if you haven't seen any of these movies, watch The Fog first. Mm-hmm. If you have all of these movies to choose from, this is the order you should be watching them in. If you have to watch just these movies, um, it, and following that, I put Cruising, uh, like you said, below Simon and above To All a Good Night. But for me, there's two movies in between those, um, and it goes right in the middle, um, just below American Gigolo, but above Hero at Large for me. So technically, mine. Uh, sorry, I missed. I missed a film on here mine is between hero at large and american gigolo so okay so i would rather watch this again than american gigolo but i would rather watch hero at large than this this. okay (laughs) that's fair yeah which i think like it's interesting because your list is more like geared towards like your recommendations to somebody else and my list is absolutely like your personal how how do i feel about this movie and I base that on if I'd want to watch it again. Sure. Well, my list is kind of that too. I mean, the, in the, I think the, the order that I would recommend to them to other people is pretty close to the order that I would watch them in myself. Um, I think that's about it for this one. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you find the time to review us, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Mad Max, 
or as Wikipedia describes it, a tale of societal collapse, murder, and revenge set in future Australia, in which an unhinged policeman becomes embroiled in a violent feud with a savage motorcycle gang. So another cop movie. Not really, though. <laughs> we leave you now with a trailer for Mad Max. Tomorrow, in a world gone mad. <laughs> Only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner, and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does the run to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well. I'll add it to my thread collection. You made the news again. Hmm. Who was he? Just another glory roader, I guess. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Anything I say. Anything you say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. I want my baby. You've not got a sense of humor. Please, don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead. But only one can have his way. Don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets evil. American International presents Mad Max, the maximum force of the future.